everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Rugby League Back Chat from my kitchen. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're keeping well, keeping yourself entertained. If you're not well, hopefully this next hour can give you a bit of comfort. I've brought along two of the characters of the game. First up, we've got the London head coach, Danny Ward. And uh, last resort, I've got to say, but he's here anyway. Scott Morell, the Halifax captain. Gents, how are we keeping? We're all right, yeah. How are you? Yeah, all good, mate. Thank you. Thank you for uh, coming, especially you, Scott, because I messaged you about 10 minutes before we were supposed to go on the show, and then uh, it actually turned out about an hour and a half before, because uh, Ward has been faffing around trying to find some headphones, and he also couldn't figure out how to make them work as well. And uh, I think you're a bit conscious Very about important. the uh, about how far they're sticking out of your ears as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's just old lugs, isn't it? Old, full of air. Just, <laughs> I should have shaved them. Like knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> and we've uh, we've all got plenty to uh, laugh and, and cheer about at the minute anyway because Smart's been given £16 million only alone but uh, we can get plenty of bottles of Prosecco or whatever rugby league players drink nowadays with that what we're going to what we're going to do with it on a serious note Wardy I guess we've uh, we've got to be fairly sensible and, and not spend it on a big night out <laughs> it's, it's got to be and from top to bottom right from the grassroots the junior clubs all around the country, you know, right to the top, to the to the Premier Comp in, in Super League, and you know whoever whoever needs it, whatever it's needed most. But like you said, it's a loan, it's got to be paid back. So I'm sure the RFL are doing the due diligence on everyone who's who's coming wanting some help, and um, hopefully it gets us to the other side of this and we're in a stronger position. What's the the thoughts of players, Scott? Because um, there's been a little bit of talk that the the players' union is have said to certainly Super League players who are part of the GMB, <clears throat> well, uh, you were part of the losses. We can we can start looking at getting some of your wages back now. Are players thinking that, or is it a bit of a... Do they realise that <clears throat> it's maybe not going to be able to go as much to that as they'd have hoped? I think we've got, you've got to think about the game rather than yourself and take your, take your players off a little bit. I know uh, when you sign them contracts at start your, your deal that you're entitled to that money, but uh, I think... A little bit of a common sense has got to be prevailed there, and uh, if uh, if there's no clubs, there's no wages. So I think we need to get them, them the clubs sorted first, and players might have to look at the wages. It might be a way to get it back in the future, but uh, uh, I just think just need, to, need to think about the game first. Yeah, I agreed. It's uh, it's one of those, isn't it, Wardian? I know that everyone everyone's suffering. Um, and it's not just in rugby league, you know, and it's not just players, it's coaches, it's backroom staff, it's office staff. Everyone's taking these cuts. But as, as Scott said, we've got to find that balance of making sure that they're, you know, these people are treated properly, but also the clubs don't fold by trying to do that. I think so, yeah. And speaking to um, to players already, I think they're, they're, they're well aware that the, the clubs have got to be there. The game's got to be in a strong position. Otherwise, we're all going to suffer far worse than this. So if it means taking a little bit of a hit now and a bit of a pay cut, I think boys have been happy to do that so far. Um, how long that lasts, you know, you don't know whether, whether people can continue, but the boys have got to look at that bigger picture. As everyone does not, it's not just the players, it's, it's staff as well. We've got to look at the bigger picture and the game's got to got to be in a strong position coming out of this. Yeah, agreed. But uh, in the meantime, we can all look forward to uh, a bit of comfort. And I, I suppose, do, does it give... Scott, everyone a, a little bit of, of ease knowing that this money's in there that, you know, and it is a fairly significant amount of money. It should help if clubs were looking at, you know, collapsing and being on the brink. It should give them a little bit of leeway now for a couple of months at least, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's, it's in certain, 
in certain times for everybody, isn't it? We don't, everybody doesn't know what's going on with the government and stuff like that with the with COVID nineteen. But for our game as a whole, that 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 money gives us a little bit of a a release valve early, and so we can relax a little bit. And I'm sure the people at the top of the game will will spend it uh, where it needs to be spent. Indeed. Anyway, let's get get off that. Uh, I want I want to ask you about something else because. Last couple of weeks, we've uh, we've heard a lot of Super League people, related people, talk about promotion relegation. Um, should be this, should be that. Uh, there should be no relegation, probably no promotion. Well, we've got two fellows who were who were prominent in the in the Championship here. What what do you two think? What what's what should we be doing, particularly with promotion and relegation? Does it need to stay? Do they, do we just need to accept it's not going to happen? We'll, we'll start with you, Wardy. What do you think? Um, I think the the right call would be not to relegate. I think definitely, and and if we were in that situation, you know, last year and this happened, I think we'd be definitely pushing for that really because it, it's going to massively affect your season and how you come out of it. So I, I, I think the right call will be to stop relegation this year. To take away promotion, you know, will be pretty disastrous for for a number of clubs. I think in the in the championship to not have that to to strive for this year if it's if they get the championship up and running or or it's a bit of a dead rubber and they stop that. Yeah, that'll hurt a lot of teams who've invested, you know, the likes of um, Lee to lose themselves who are full-time, who've, who've put money into a, uh, into the squad in the hope of returning straight to Super League. You know, that'll, that'd hurt us going into next year and, and certainly receiving less funding as, as we would do, um, you know, what what um, what that'd happen to our squad then and the club, you know, who knows? It's a bit of an unknown for us all at the minute, but... To have to to not have promotion, yeah, it would would be pretty disappointing. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, it's like to back water up there. Is, is championships growing year on year, and with the teams that are full time, they're chucking that that money in for the hopes of getting to Super League. So I don't think you can take away promotion, but on the other hand, for Super League teams, what have invested that money, then had the fair chance to to get the season underway and, and get re- like a real role on. I don't think it's fair to re- relegate. You look at the part-time teams as well. They, you know, they it's so like Scotty said, it's so competitive. You know, Featherstone were got to the million-pound game last year and were just, you know, right in that game to the death. They could have been in Super League this year. So you know, it's it's not just the full-time clubs. It's the part-time teams who are, who are making it such a competitive league, and it's it's, it's got so much better over the, the, the last few years. Anyone can get promoted in that league now. Really, it's, it's it's quality come. As a part-time part-time team, for my mentality, we we look to to get you rage your game when you're playing against them better players and then full-time players. So to get a win over them them full-time teams is is a real buzz for us part-time teams. So it's it's a uh, yeah, it's, it's quality competition as a championship. Tell you what, there's some characters in it as well. I mean, we've got one in in you, Scott. You uh, you're known for for spraying a little bit and giving giving it out. Are there, who else likes uh, dishing dishing the verbals out on the pitch in the championship? I just I just respond to people when people get into me, uh, fellow. I don't uh, believe that coach, for one minute. Opposite coaches as well, saying I'm overweight and stuff like that, like Danny uh, <laughs> Ward. And uh, <laughs> no, it's just yeah, there's some characters in, in league. Uh, who did we play recently? Uh, George Flanagan from Bradford. He's a he's a character. Uh, needs to put a muzzle on light, but he's he's a character at game. Liam Mudd. Um, He's, he's another character, but just you've got to enjoy what you're doing, haven't you? You've got to enjoy playing. We all we all play this game because we love to play, and if you're not enjoying it on field as well, that's the main part of it. So uh, there's there's serious parts to it, but you've always got, got to enjoy what you're doing. It, this yeah, is there's a lot, there's a lot of characters in the game. That's the selling point, isn't it, blokes? 
at the top in Super League. It's not just championship. There's characters throughout the game. You know, we should embrace him. characters like that because they, they sell it. You know, as long as it's done in the right manner. It's, uh, it's all good. Who, who, who sticks like, out to you as the characters of the comp water? Well, he's just an idiot, and he's this guy. He's just he's <laughs> next level. Uh, but there's, there's um, I said there's, there's so many that just play, but it's just good to see lads play with a smile on the face. You know, well, you played with Scotty myself, and he raises your game when you're with him because he's enjoying it, and that's what it's about. That's why we do it. That's why we start doing it as a kid, so if he can get you through the tough times. Well, I wanted to ask you both about this because you know the game can be very serious and. Uh, you know, a bit doom and gloom. But you tell me, I, I always remember last in the Super 8s a year you went up when you were playing Wigness and you were right tight and everyone were on tenterhooks and you and Jamie Langley just like looked like you were two blokes on your fifth pint halfway through the second half. Uh, no, six pint, I think it was by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you... It must help, just but you can... clear that you up know. because Langley's farted and he's wafting <laughs> it with his clipboard. And it was made out that it was me who'd done the damage. And I was just laughing at the This all got caught on Sky. Like people who inside the Broncos know that that's Langer's technique when he's dropped one. Not the opposite, not defence. That's, that's attack from Langer. So I just want to clear that up now that it was him who'd done that deed on Sky. But yeah, it didn't, wasn't a good look for us as uh, trying to go for promotion. And you got the coach, dropping bombs at back of classroom. But you gained a lot of admirers from it, though. That's the thing, because, you know... It, no, it, it stands like... right. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, you're, you're the same. I mean, at Christ, you you took your top off and got your got your rig out on BBC after you got in a Challenge Cup semi-final. Again, it, you don't seem to take yourself too seriously. It must, it must help when you can do that, especially on the pitch when you've got blokes who are absolutely G'd up, wound up, and you can you can just take the mick out of it. Yeah, I think you've got a, there's there's a time and place where you can you've got to switch on, and uh, in them games uh, scenarios where you, where you're playing with a ball, it's you're switching on there. But when it's a little breaking play and I'm getting called you for that, me all game, uh, I just thought I'll let them see, I'll let them see what they're missing. Uh, just got me belly out. Thank God it was the top because normally it's the bottoms that come off first. When I'm... <laughs> <laughs> That's after a few pints that one. <laughs> 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 who, who, Scott, who, who have you been able to wind up the most on a rugby pitch? Uh, I think it was Peter Matalia when we played. He was playing for Lee, and uh, just they were obviously they were going through a bad time. They just come down down from Super League, they just been relegated. Kept a few of the star players, and we were beating them at half time, and he'd made a few errors, and I just said, "Have you played NRLs?" Just winding him up, just giving him a little few fingers, and then. He cocked one back to give me one, and then I was, he says, "What are you gonna do?" I says, "No, why?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, probably him really. Jamie Sauer, did you go into Jamie Sauer badly when he came oh, yeah. over from London, and, and he didn't know what hit him. He, he just come from like the NRL and, and come over here playing at Halifax on a on a cold, cold night, and uh, he come off the field at the end and like, who who's that idiot in, in nicer terms? Who's that idiot number six over there? Yeah, you just met Scott Earl, and you just like just wouldn't stop all game, calling the back on the face, and just <laughs> yeah, rattled, rattled them. Has anyone ever got under your two skin? Who is there anyone who you can recall that's really, really got to you during the game? 
Uh, from my point of view, no, not really. I, biggest thing I hate if I make an error and someone taps me on the head, I says I can't stand that. And but uh, that's how they can get if they're saying stuff to me, they can't get on the missing. So I'll give him, I'll give him it back. But uh, it's just I don't like the tapping on the head. If they want to, if anybody wants to get on the skin for the rest of the season, just tap me on the head. Just making all that. Hang on. Tapping on head. What about you, Wardy? Anyone, anyone who you would uh, follow really? Not too fun. much. Obviously, you had your battles on the field. There were always there were a couple of players who you didn't particularly like. But again, I think when you when you kind of enjoying yourself and you do play with that smile on your face, you don't take things as serious. You can kind of brush off the um, the mistakes and the, the the people who you can't control. You kind of just you can't deal with them. So just just take them out of the equation because you you're not too bothered. You're a bit relaxed and you're laid back. Whereas you know the ones who are uptight can can wind them up even more. What about the, what about from a coaching perspective? Is, is it the same? Do you is it still that same sort of camaraderie banter when during it? I suppose not during a game because you're miles away from each other, but you know before and after with what's said in the press or whatever else. I think so. Yeah, I have a decent relationship with with the most coaches and and have nice relaxed chats before afterwards. It's all pretty good relationships on on uh, on the touchline. It's it's uh, it's nice. I just want to, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, we've got a bit of time to talk about this, it's a million pound game um, that you won in, in Toronto. Um, I, I remember that year, you'd been to London earlier in the year, and I'd spoke to one of you, I can't remember who it was, I spoke to one of the players after, they said you were really, it was the first time they'd seen you really annoyed after a game because you hadn't performed well or something. Um, you went back, obviously had that incredible victory. What I just wanted to, get your memories about that trip to Toronto and, and what yeah. you remember about it? Well, we've been over, it was the third time we've been over because we've been over in the league, we've been over in the middle eight <clears throat> and we went again for the million pound game so we completed it, we'd done all touristy bits in the first two when we got towelled up twice over there because we were spending all day time with balls and going out all bars and all that, we'd done all touristy Low smoke. So we went over and we serious for a million pounder like so. <clears throat> right, we'll better switch on this time. You know, we'll want open top bus ride out of city. We'll, uh, we'll switch on. So it was just, we always kind of, coming back the second time in the middle eights, we always kind of, it just felt like it was going to happen, that we was going to get him in the million pound game and, and we'll just come away thinking next time we come back, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get them, we know, because each time you go, you fix a few little bits, like, we won't do this, we'll do this next time, we'll train there, we'll train this time. And, and it was getting better every time, so it was just yeah. um, great. Um, the feeling when we went, just was like, we was going to win, but how it always felt like, and even in the game, we just kind of had that feeling that we was going to get the job done, and boys were just so fully focused on, on just getting the result, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just unreal game, and the scoreline and, and and just the the tries that we stopped and the defensive effort, yeah, it was just unreal. And see that bunch of folks, a lot of London lads who come through the system together as well, enjoying games like that together. You, you never, they never leave you. What the game, the game itself, it was one of the most tense games I've ever seen. The one to try scored it. It felt like the more and more it went on. It was like, oh my, London could actually win this. Oh, they're gonna win this. I mean, what what was it like for you coaching? I, I can't imagine you having a laugh and a joke during that one. Um, again, I think it, I felt tenser during the build up in the middle eights. Like we played, we played Halifax at home in one game, and that was I was losing my mind in that one because that was tight. And 
Peter's back too, didn't you? Plus made it half time, and I went through bigger periods of tenseness throughout the middle eights. The last game, like I said, it just felt. You just know, Scott, you'll know when them games and then when you're in them sheds and you just kind of have a feeling that everybody's on and it just relaxes you. You can look at the lads and know they've got this. You've done all your work throughout the season. You've done your work through the week and you can just, you've got that feeling. And when you see how the lads are defending and they're working hard for each other, it just relaxes you. It did get, obviously, a little bit tense <clears throat> towards the end. I remember when you know, Spenner run over um, Bob Bezik and the clock got stopped. And, you know, we're, we're running up to the timekeeper asking how long's left and we've got seven seconds. And and then the message came up that Kieran's just going to run backwards. And we went, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then <laughs> and then we thought about it. We looked at each other, me and Langer, and what have we just said? What's he going to do? This is going to go horribly, horribly wrong here. So then we're trying to say, <laughs> Langer's is trying to work out how far you can run in seven seconds on a pitch. And then it just all became like a big maths equation. Like, how far can you run? Is it going to go? And it was just lost as... Lost his mind for like a few seconds there, but you know, the final final whistle was just a, a massive relief, and it was just yeah, yeah awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about the celebrations after, but we're gonna have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's edition of Rugby League Black Chat. Before the break, we were talking about that million-pound game. I want to ask Wardy about the million-pound celebrations. Now, anyone who's been to Toronto know that it's a fair place to go and uh, enjoy yourself after a game uh, in the beer in the beer tent and in the city. Uh, I don't know how much you'll even remember, to be honest, Wardy. Well, what can you recall of the of the aftermath of that game and the and the celebrations? We- we flew home straight away after the game. So whereas before, oh, really? previously, yeah, we um, <clears throat> we we always had that night after the game, so the boys would go out obviously uh, and have a drink. But yeah, we because the game was on a Sunday, our flight back to Gatwick was on the Sunday night. So as you know, it's a great atmosphere there after the game. Even when even when Toronto had lost, the atmosphere was unbelievable. You know, in the beer tents and, and the music was pumping, so the boys were all having beers together. Then we had to just get straight back to the airport. So the boys just got straight in the straight in the civvies and and got straight back to the airport. Obviously, they had a couple more drinks back at airport, obviously, and just flew. A few on the flight. Flights about five. So you fly overnight, so it's just mental. Then you just land in Gatwick at about 10 in the morning. You don't know what time zone you're in. You don't know what day you're on. You know you've got to go out again and keep celebrating, obviously. <laughs> so you just got to, got to toughen up and just crack on. And yeah, but it was just it was just blurred into one big. 24-hour block where you know the boys got back, got back to the ground at Ealing and and saw all the staff back at Ealing, which was which was great. And then the boys, you just leave them to it, don't you? Let's go and crack on. And uh, we just had a little drink as a staff, but it just got to about six o'clock and we were just all deflated and just tired because it had just been that long yeah. trip that we just and I'd not seen my family for about five days as well, so I just ended up coming back and coming seeing the kids and the missus and it was. But it, yeah, fantastic all in all, but it just blurred into one big, one big mess. I can't <laughs> believe that you were uh, you will have turned down the opportunity to sort of fancy dress night out though after that because it is well known. Yeah, yeah, well, because I was going to say it's well known that you are rugby league's king of, of fancy dress. Um, so what, what can you yeah. tell us? <laughs> oh, you do take it. I've seen some of them. I mean, what I seem to recall, didn't you get? 
splashed in one of the national papers at one point in fancy dress. Yeah, that was me, like Olivia Newton-John. It was like an 80s, um, 80s aerobics outfit with a big ghetto blaster, and obviously a woman and fake boobs and all that. And that, that was probably one of my highlights. <laughs> one of the one of the SNC guys, he put it on his Twitter just for a laugh, like, and then all of a sudden it just got retweeted ridiculous. And, and I think the son picked it up and put it in the back of the papers. And um, so we'd, I, it's never with the lads. We leave the lads to go out on their own. We don't go out as a, as a staff with the boys. But after, at the end of the season, you obviously have a drink and unwind. And, and um, been quite sensible in the last few years. Maybe I've calmed down now. But yeah, I did take fancy dress quite seriously at one point. Did, don't did you have skills one year, Wardy? You are. Didn't you go? Out, didn't you go out in skis one year? Yeah, that was probably my best one because they were all handmade. I, I thought that like was your best one. Eighties retro ski with like lycra, lycra pants, fluffy um, leg warmers, and I made me on skis and taking, taking like the foot bit. You know the foot bits that you attach your feet into on a rower. I strapped yeah. them to some bits of wood, and uh, <laughs> away I went. That was clunking around London in skis. Push out <laughs> interesting. Um, Muzzy, you're not getting away with it because you've done some fancy dress as well. But I was told that on a night out in Black, you went on a team dude to Blackpool and you got a taxi home. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, that were uh, this year, that Matthew. Uh, what made you get a taxi dress. home from Blackpool? Uh, I'd had too many beers and I wanted my own bed. Thrown out everywhere. <laughs> Thrown out everywhere, yeah. We had fancy dress this year. We had to dress as someone else. Uh, in the team, and uh, I went as Bobby Fairbanks' dog. Obviously, you no, know, but Bobby Fairbanks got 25 dogs, and one of his hunting dogs got beaten up by a rabbit. So I went dressed <laughs> as that, and uh, and uh, Ben K went dressed as Bobby. So we went as them, and I went, Ben K had on, my, on, my, on the lead going around Blackpool, and it got to end at night, and then it cost me 120 quid in a taxi to get home. <laughs> oh my god, cannot <laughs> believe you did that. 120 quid. But, hey, uh, let's get back to some rugby talk, because you, you had some memorable games, Muzzer. Um I remember when you were at OKR that year, you went promoted. Um, I mean, you must have some great memories of that game. Yeah, um, that was probably, that's probably the biggest, best game I've I've been involved in. Um, obviously, it's a bit bit like what uh, the, the full-time teams are doing now in the Championship with OKR went full-time that year. They, they put a lot of money in it. They had the, if you can remember, OKR, they used to have a dog track around, uh, around the field, so the pitch was smaller. But Neil had invested some money into laying a new pitch because Justin Morgan come in and wanted to play a bit more like, chucking ball about uh, rugby style. And it paid off that year and got to the grand final and lining up against people like Barry McDermott, Terry O'Connor, who I'd grown up watching, uh, being a Leeds fan when I was a kid and getting to play against them in, in the final to get promoted to uh, to the Super League were, were outstanding. The the preparation that you all had back then were, were very different. I seem to recall reading, you recalling your memories on this game. You were all in the bookies the day before the game or something like that. Yeah, so uh, what, <laughs> what it was is uh, we, went, we were playing in Warrington and uh, Justin didn't want to travel down. Obviously, a two-hour journey from Hull down to, down to Warren the day of the game, so... Give us, give us a choice and if we wanted to go up a couple of days early so we went up uh, I think the game were on the Sunday we went up on the Thursday so we had a couple of days down there and obviously when you've done your training you've got a lot of time to yourself so I was only a young kid so I was just going along with, with all the senior players and if anybody knows Michael Smith 
loves he loves a little punt and I think he nearly took them them uh, that like a little private home bookies. It wasn't like a William Mill or a Betfred or all like that. It was like a little private bookies and I think he nearly took all the money off them that 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 week. <laughs> <laughs> it was so you you went on the day and I remember it being in Warrington now. What the game itself, um how confident were you? Because as you said, you were coming up against some, you know, some legends of the game, really. Yeah, we were confident. We we built it up all all season, really. We uh, we'd all we'd lost to Lee Centurions in the national real final, uh, and then we lost two games in the league. But Justin had rested the majority of the first team for them two games and put the, the academy team out. So really, we'd gone all year without without losing a game with his with his first team out and. And we were uh, really confident, and we're just a group of young lads, really, who not made it in Super League at that point, and uh, just try, try to put a stamp stamp on the game, and and uh, we, we did that in that final. What do you make of what they're doing now at OKR, Scott? Because they've done something similar, and they've got they're in Super League, obviously, but they've got a lot of unproven lads at that level in the squad they've they've got rid of seemingly the the older end of the squad predominantly brought in young lads to replace and what what do you think about what they're trying to do there at the minute yeah i think they're rebuilding at the moment i think uh they've gone down a different route for what they've done for the last couple of years where they've brought uh all the players in australians and and aren't quite worked out where they've been getting a few injuries and stuff like that so i think uh with tony danny Maguire and neil i think they've gone down a different different route this year and Signing some quality kids like Minchella ripped it up last year for Bradford and then he's earned his chance to, to play in Super League again. So yeah, I think they're, they're doing it the right way. They're, they're building building it up out there from the from the bottom and, and hopefully it'll pay off in years to come. Why why did you leave OKR? Uh because of a certain Australian coach I want to talk about it, but still still hurts. <laughs> right, I didn't know. <laughs> no, so let's talk about it, Scotland. No, no, I've uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loads of time left. Obviously, people have different opinions, and they brought uh, uh, Craig Sandercock come in, and I played under him for a year, and then he obviously didn't didn't want to keep me, and didn't let me know till like September time. So obviously, you know, teams are all built up then, and Cal Harrison, uh lives on lives on the street, and he just asked me if I'd be if I'd come and play for Halifax because they were coaching them at the time, and. I had a few few beers in his local club, Ad Walton, and come to an agreement with a contract and, and got it sorted. And it's been it's been awesome, really. It's, obviously, we're going to leave Ulkey out at the time, but Halifax have uh, they open they open their arms to me, and I've I've loved being there, and uh, I love continue to love being there. I've uh, I've tried to get Carl Harrison on the show because if if you try and get him to tell some stories in person, he will work a room and he will get everyone in the in the room to buy him a pint. Where if we're doing it virtually, I, I wouldn't have to do that. Uh, when he uh, when you went to the pub and discussed it, I take it you were still buying the pints despite the fact he was trying to talk you around. They don't move. He just clicks his fingers and there's another pint appears on his on his uh, <laughs> on his table. He's Lord Lord Mayor of Driglet and his car. <laughs> and and Halifax. I mean, you've had some. You've had many memorable games there. Been there a long time now. Is is the one game that that stands out for you as as the most memorable from your time at Halifax? I think there's a couple of really. It's, it's always nice to beat Bradford, being a Leeds lad and seeing the hatred what Halifax have for Bradford. So probably every game we beat Bradford's been up there. But uh, the the Toulouse away when we had to win, 
I think it was 2016, 17. 16, uh, 17, when, yeah, wasn't it, yeah. When, when John Oscar that try yeah. to uh, to get us into into the top four, and I think then we had to go we had to go beat Ulkiara in the last game to get into into the top top four, and uh, we went and did that, and yeah, so they stand out for me. You were awarded just to to move it on. You were. You, I think it was Muzza that said, you know, Minchella's come from the championship fantastic last year. He's probably been Ulkiar's best player so far this year. With what's going on, budgets are probably going to be cut across Super League, you would imagine. Do you think that we might see more Super League clubs go down that Ulkiar route and try and take on a lot of championship players who have, who have proven themselves at that level and, and take a punt on them effectively? I think, yeah, I think it might have to. Um... Like then we OKR approved this year. We had a lot of championship lads last year who stepped up and played Super League and handled it, you know, and and improved each week. It just shows you what what there is outside the Super League at the top of uh, top of the champ. Uh, some players and same at Super League club, a lot of good young players as well who are good to see get a chance this period now as well. You might have a lot of talent who not had the chance to, to shine before been given a crap so we got we always London we look kind of young player who's on the fringe of super teams who can't quite get in because they might have some internationals in front of them so we get like to give them a pathway down here where they, where they can play first team and continue with them. so there, there is a lot of players they're just looking for a chance yeah Scott look there seems to me so many talented players in the championship they've never got that opportunity, I think I said, you know, Dane Manning, I've watched him for years and I think he's tremendous, but never got that yeah. opportunity. Why Why is that? The man who's played Super League, he played for Leeds, I think, when they played debut against right the Right at the start yeah, right of his, his start career, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. He's never got the gig since. And you, you recall, I mean, from his days at Halifax and Febben Batley, he's been consistently very, very good. And I don't want to make about Dane Manning, but there are loads of players like that, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, there's there's loads of players, but uh, obviously when it's a tough call for championship players when they get into 26, 27 year, uh, years of age and they've got a decent job, they're, they're earning 35 grand with a job and then they're earning the money on top of that. Uh, if they're looking for a chance in, in Super League, they're probably going to get offered 25 grand, 30 grand. So it's up to them if they want to make that sacrifice, losing that bit of money uh, to have a shot at Super League. But when... When they've got families, houses, mortgages, cars, and stuff like that, you've got to pay for it. It's, it's some you've got to weigh up the pros and the cons of it. And um, but there is, like you say, there is quality players in the in, in the championship what do deserve a shot. But uh, obviously, sometimes they don't get on them at 18, 19, 20 year old. They might not be ready to play a Super League. They might need to get some games in the championship and then step up. Mm. Have you ever so been offered the chance to go back? Sorry, Warren. I was going to say I think there's also so much pressure on on, on Super League clubs to to take that punt on some some younger blokes um, yeah. with a threat of relegation every year as well. As you don't have that time to to develop some of these blokes who are in the Championship, and, and it might be seen as a bit of a punt from Super League coaches to to go and go and give someone a chance. So I think think it comes out of that as well, and certainly the the cash side of it, like Scotty said. Have you ever been offered the chance to go back to Super League, Scott? Uh, in me, in me, when first couple of years at Halifax, I did, and then, <coughs> uh, but spoke to Carl and 
they had what his plans he had in place. It it, it weighed out uh, for, better for me to stay at Halifax, and and that's what I did. And now we're I think this is my eighth season now going going into my eighth or started my eighth season, and then we stopped. But yeah, I've been been there eight years now. I offered you on about you going here last night last year, and you turned me down. I offered you me you couch are. and here all last year, and you turned me down, Scott. <laughs> you can walk my doors twice a week. <laughs> I think Scoey were on about you got a Leeds a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Wasn't even that long, I don't think. Yeah, it cost me 100 quid, that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, it must have been nice, that, though. You know, oh, legend of the game yeah, telling you saying Leeds should sign you. No, yeah, it's nice to hear stuff like that, but it's, uh, I'm a realist as well. As, uh, if, uh, if I get ball with five metres to go at line and a clear gap, I can't get through it anymore, Matt. Feels, uh, Similar <laughs> shape. I've, I've never been blessed with pace, Matt. But, uh, no, it's just, I didn't, I'm still playing because I still enjoy it and play with a smile on my face, as, as you know, like we said earlier. And uh, As long as uh, Halifax want me and I'm still enjoying it myself, I'll, I'll keep playing. Good on you. Right, we're going to have another quick break before the final part of this week's show where we'll have much more rugby league chat. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's back chat. Final part of the show. Still got plenty to talk about. Wardy, I, uh, I wanted to ask you about your time at Leeds because I mean that that period was just an incredible time for for the Rhinos, and I'm sure for for you being involved. What what do you remember about most vividly about your time at, at Leeds? Uh, Mainly, we're just such a good environment. The players, we all, the majority came through together as young kids, you know, come through the academy. We were a few years apart or played in the reserves there as well. So we had such a tight bond that we'd just been playing together for such a long time. So, you know, come the first time, I think when we won the grand final in 04, a lot of us had been playing together for like six, eight years um, and had them bonds. It was just a good time. We just felt confident every time we went out on the field and just, great bonds that we built there for life and I'd say we under a couple of good coaches Daryl Powell Tony Smith um, they were just fantastic for your game as well so you were learning every day but just did it in a, in a great environment you worked hard but you know you had a good time at the same time Who everyone mentions the culture who, who were the real culture drivers at the club from a, from a playing perspective <laughs> Um, I mean, can't look too much further than Kev, really. You know, he was just a young kid when he got made made captain and then played together in the the academy. People like Kev, you know, Franny had been there a long time. Uh, Franny Cummins, he'd played for since when he was 16, so knew the club inside out, so he was a great character um, to look up to. Um, but, yeah, certainly Kev as a, as a captain was just a fantastic leader and a good bloke as well, so he just kind of drove that and... And you do, you kind of put enough work into that, you, you get you get your culture right and the right people on board and the players just drove that then uh, and worked hard for each other. Yeah, I want to ask you about Kev, because a couple of weeks ago, it might be a few months ago now, he was listed on a, a, an RFL poll as one of the, the greatest of all time in um, the RFL. They're doing like 125 years century um, celebration sort of thing. And loads of people went ballistic that he had been included on that list. A lot of people... You know, the, the jury seems to be out almost as to how good he was as a player. Some believe he was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Some don't think he was as, 
as good as, as he's made out to be. What was it about him as a player that made him the player he was for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm no historian, so I can't go off what's happened over the course of 100 years of rugby league, but when you're judging, judging greats, you know, it should be deemed over a long period. You know, you have players who turn up for a couple of years or have, have good periods, but, you know, I think certainly for Kev, he's done it for so long and been that consistent in his game. And and for me, that, that that's a lot what greatness is, how consistent he was. He wasn't just um, a good game one week, all right, the next, or just have bad, bad games as well. You can't really remember the amount of poor games that, that he had. He was so consistent in what he did on and off the field as well. So um, I think that goes unnoticed by probably um, regular supporter of just his consistency, his leadership. And, um, you know, it's not just all about them, them show-stopping moments that you see in, in, in judging greatness. For me, it was the consistency and, and the work that he put in every day. What was the best grand final win you were part of? I only won one, so that's pretty simple. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel like yeah. rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, just, just that one. So, yeah, easy question. <laughs> what do you, what, what, I mean, that, that was a massive one for the club, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It meant so but, much to everyone. Yeah, again, it was just unbelievable because we've been been getting better and it was a young a young group who'd slowly that's it been developing under um Darrell Powell for a few years and then Tony came in and, and just instilled that belief in us to that we could could win something and um, again we played together a long time and we're Leeds lads were lead supporters growing up we knew how long the club had been without winning a title we knew what it meant to to the club to the fans each other and yeah it was just an unbelievable moment you know come come final whistle time you couldn't quite believe what you'd done and then you just saw the reactions of your teammates and the emotions running around and it was yeah again memories that, that'll stick with you for a lifetime what do you what do you remember from the build-up is there any particular memory you, you know <clears throat> in the sheds or going to warm up that that you recall <clears throat> um, i mean you can't forget the atmosphere going out to warm up you know they said just soak it in in the, in the warm-up take your time build up slowly and just just soak everything in really you know we'd lost a I think we'd lost to Bradford um, two weeks earlier in the in the semi-final, so they they put one on us there. But again, we just went in confident. Tony Tony built that into us that we just we knew each other would just do the job, and um, and yeah, what an atmosphere it was. And just let's like say we'd not been to Old Trafford before, so just it was just a bit yeah overwhelming at first. But once you once you got a warm up out of the way and you walked out, it was just just like any other game really. What, what do you recall about your grand final win, Muzza? My grand final? For championship? <laughs> I was taking the mate, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were yeah. winding Wardy up that he'd only won oh. one. <laughs> I was at... I would, no, I wasn't winding Wardy up. I, 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 I went to academy then when uh, when Wardy won his grand final. and they, they didn't, Leeds just didn't build it up for, for the first team as well. They, they made it part of the club and we, we had a full day out there on, on a bus and with with uh, all this office staff and stuff like that, few beers and when they when they when they won that grand final, we were going absolutely mental in in, in the in the stands with the fans and, and the staff of the, of the club and just to think what you were saying about Kev, I think is uh, whichever position you put him in though, if he played stand off, scrum half, hooker, loose forward, he'd always be the best on the field. So I think um, he is he is one one of the greats greats of our game and he did that for a long period of time.
What was it like being at, at Leeds Academy at the time? Again, you, you were there and some of the players that you'll have been able to learn off and watch must have been amazing for you. Yeah, that's that's a big thing about the culture they had at the club. But the year after 2005, that's when I first uh, signed my, my first team contract with with the uh, with Wardy and, and, and stuff like that. And the real like obviously being a Leeds fan going into that first team dressing room, uh, a bit bit daunting really. And just they just open arms you, uh, welcomes you in, and not just on the train training part, but going for coffees, going for that. You're part of that team, and that's that's what it. It meant to feel uh, welcome in the first team. It's not us and us and the young kids. It's 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 a full team and uh, Warden and all the team and all the team used used to stay out and do extras with us and make us try to make the, the young players better better as well. Took you under of all the uh... took me under his wing, did Wardy and uh, had a few <laughs> few good times in Dublin. <laughs> coffees, going for coffees. Well, we're gonna. Go on then, tell us about Dublin. <coughs> oh, silence. Me, I want it. I review. Free the Dublin one. Never been. Don't worry, I'm not. I don't know what you're on about now. I've never been. I was going to say, Scott, I mean, some absolute legends at the club that time. It, but of all the players that you uh, you had to learn off, Danny Ward must have been right at the top. Yeah, I think that's why we're so great friends now. That's why that's why we still still get on and have a laugh. Uh, yeah, he's been good player as Wardy, but he's an even better coach, aren't you, Wardy? Thanks, mate. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I, I seem to recall you kicking a drop goal once. Oh, I'm making never, never talk about that, do I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. Nah, it was on Sky. It was on Sky. Castleford, was it? Oh, at Boulevard. Oh, That's what Boulevard. Boulevard. Yeah. Were, were you losing at the time? <clears throat> yeah, six nil. So I made it six one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you go for a drop goal six nil down? Well, just, just uh, I'm just a uh, half back trapped inside a, a fat man's body, and it just instinct <laughs> made me number six in me. It was. Uh, Tim, uh, it will. It will play five. You are. With them cougar boots with steel toe caps you used to wear. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Two-inch studs. <laughs> play five and, and Rob Burrows had, had put a little grubber through, I think, and it just hit one of the old players. Landed up in my arms. So, and it, it was one back to one or anything like that. So, I just absolutely just slipped it from, I think it was about 45 out into wind. <laughs> and uh, it just, just cruised over and then you just couldn't, actually just couldn't believe what happened. Everyone was just laughing. Running back and we were 6-1 down still. <laughs> And we're just all running back for a kickoff. Like, what, what's just gone on there? And we're just, I don't know, just an absolute brain explosion. And just, just bobbed it, bobbed one over. But we ended up winning, though. We won, I think it was, we was, ended up scoring, which made it 7 6. And we was winning right to the end. I remember, I think Keith scored to spoil it because I was hoping it was just going to stay 7 6 and it'd be my winning drop goal. And then I think Keith ran down touchline towards the end and it ended up being 13 6, I think, at Boulevard. But that was one of them days and we I think we just had kids playing. It was like say Rob Robert had been about 18, 19, Danny Maggs was probably playing, he was same and, and we're just a team full of kids who went, Oh, we're not an up, we're going to the to the boulevard and getting a win and we managed to jag one. But yeah, Keith stole my glory a little bit towards the end, which I'm still healthy about. 
I was going to say, to, to win with a bunch of kids at the boulevard must have been near on impossible because that's one of... I mean, I, I only went as a kid, but that was one of the scariest places I have ever been in my entire life. Yeah, pretty intimidating. Certainly like the cage when you come out as well. And they had that whole cage where we were all banging on yeah. the sides and rattling and shouting at you. As it was really... And it was always well, always cold and rainy, innit, it, you know? And um, it was just really intimidating. One of them old-fashioned rugby grounds, which were... Great places to go get wins, but you know if you were on the wrong side of a result, it were it were tough times there. Was it the worst one? For both, I guess the question for both of you, which is the worst away ground to visit? Well, <coughs> I've have a worse worse ground really, but worst conditions I've ever played in. Well, can you remember working in 2015, I think it was, uh, full of puddles and that. Should have should have should have called it off and. Went out, we played and it was absolutely freezing. And Adam Tangart were getting a hot shower at half time, not to realise we've got to go back out in it in his, in his full <laughs> kit. But uh, that's it's not, I, I enjoy playing up there, but it's probably worst worst pitch I've played on. Willows, Willows was always tough going there because Willows were great. Again, you had that cage when you ran out on the field and such an intimidating ground. And the one where they had the end where they had the nightclub on the end and they're just fans would just be hanging on the steps there. Phoenix about night. 10 beers and you'd go back to take a <laughs> kick off off the back line and you were just getting absolutely rinsed by a load of drunk sulfur people. That was pretty intimidating at the time. But the great character great character them grounds, like say we like it now where it's all modern, but yeah, it's it's nice to, to remember the boulevards and the willows. It was uh, tough times. Wilderspool was another, wasn't it? That was a, a scary place to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was up there. <laughs> Wilderspool was really tough. We had big steep steps going up to to the pitch side, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not as intimidating now as it going to some of these uh, nice and newer stadiums as the, the old Did days. Did that have a gym? Did that have a gym? Like, I'll play there in an academy. You know, you run out of <coughs> had like a snooker club, didn't it, up on the left-hand club, side? Yeah. yeah. Snooker club there that yeah. used to look out onto the field. It was, I think, it's quality, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a scary old ground. And as you said, the, the grounds have become more modern now. Uh, so I guess, as the intimidation of going away from home gone now, I can't think of many places that, that replicate that anymore. I think probably a little bit, yeah, because I mean that was, that was one of the tough bits about going at Willows, where you had the had the changing rooms under the under the stand, and 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 it just sloped down there, so you were sat like we just gunched up like that on like a, when they get emergency chairs out at Christmas, and they just had a load of odd bod chairs knocking around, and just kit was scattered everywhere, toilets were leaking as soon as you go in, so like oh, already within about five minutes, lads have blocked toilet, toilets <laughs> overflowing, that's steaming down into changing rooms. You picked all your bags up. You've got your bags on your knee, and you're trying to prep yourself to go out and play a Super League game. So it's uh, it all adds to uh, to the intimidation of going away from home. And then, like I say, you walk down the little cage there, what fans are hanging on, and it, it can be pretty daunting. Obviously, you get used to it more you play there and, and more experience you get. But for young kids going going there, I remember, um, yeah, it, it, it was pretty tough and intimidating. Uh, I guess it's different now, Scott, as we said about you don't have the, these old school nasty grounds to go to, but I think of every any player that I've seen in recent years, you must tick more grief than pretty much anyone. Who, who dishes it out better than anyone? Uh, I think I, I get the most off Everston fans. Uh, that's the most abuse I get off off, uh, off supporters when we scored at Blackpool on that one <laughs> run on field to try to kill me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got my belly out. Uh, 
I think that I think they do with a hit me with a passion to be honest. But uh, talking about grounds, what you hear, I hate the four G pitches now. What Ward has got because I like it when it's muddy and when it slows everybody down. But when you get Kieran, uh, what's your winger called, Kieran? Kieran Dixon. Dixon. When you get him running at you on a four G field with best feet you've ever seen in your life. It's, uh, it's no good for us, us fat old men. Can't get to you. You stood out on wing half at time just trying to not to defend. It's hard to get to you on them 3G pictures. You know, stood in dugout half at time. Talking to you. It's in dinner suit. <laughs> you've, I'm still you've playing. Had some weird, you've, you, I mean, you two are, you know, you're obviously good mates. Is it a bit weird for you, Wardy, coaching against him? Because over the years, the last couple of years, I know you had the year in Super League, but... You've sort of been a little bit 50-50 at Fax and at London, haven't you? You've won at London, Fax have won at Fax sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, even the Noxes out at Challenge Cup, didn't they, last year when we were in Super League as well? So we've had some some decent battles over the year and it probably is about 50-50. It's always tough going over to Fax because, like Scotty says, they, raise, they don't half raise the game when they're playing a full-side team. And certainly London, you know, they, they always raise the game for it and, and try really hard. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, the, yeah, they've been they've been good battles. We've played them a few times in the middle eight. So you know we've had them like three, three, four times a year sometimes. So and uh, yeah, like I say, it's, it's hard work to come up against his, his Scotty flying about and just annoying everybody, kicking everyone to death and not making any tackles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh uh, if I were just to quickly pick your brain, we've got about thirty seconds left. If you could pick one player in the championship that wreaks havoc more than anyone, who is it? Apart from Scott Morell, yeah, obviously. Um, the I like the Toulouse lads, you know, um, Ford and Corella. I think they 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 work really well together, and they've had a good partnership over a few years, and causes a lot of problems. So you know, really got a lot of a lot of um, admiration for what they do down at Toulouse and how they play the game. Again, they like to to throw the rock ball around, and them to uh, wreak havoc when they want. Muzzer, Muzzer, I'm not going to be able to ask you because we've run out of time. I'm sorry. We do genuinely need to wrap up there. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Wardy and to Muzzer for joining us on this week's show. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy what we've got to offer. We'll be back soon. Take care.